You found the coffee stop by Day One Members. This is the show for cyclists who need to get faster but also want to look great on their bikes. While we don't teach you the latest fashion trends and hairstyles, we'll help you get that edge you need to gain more speed with smart training and the latest tech talk. Here are your hosts, Anthony Walsh and Stephen Dugan. Okay, and welcome everyone to this edition of a the Coffee Stop Bike Podcast. I mean, if you've got limited time to train, if you want to improve as a cyclist, or if you just want to listen to me and Anthony rant and rave about cycling, this is the place to be. Stephen, this is one of my favorite times of the year. I love the Giro d'Italia more than I love my own parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's going to be really exciting. So on tonight's uh, episode, we're going to cover, you know, uh, something that's, I think, in a lot of people's line of sight at the moment, Anthony, is stage racing. You know, in the Ireland, the UK, and soon to be all over North America, like people are getting ready for that target two or three or maybe week-long event so we want to talk about stage racing and as Anto has alluded to we cannot cannot let the uh, passing of the Giro go without at least putting our necks on the block and, and, and deciding who's going to win. Yeah as we're basically winging these episodes from episode to episode figuring out what to talk about Stephen I think a nice uh, it's a nice marriage of the Giro and stage racing coming up because I know a lot of people are going to be hitting the June bank holiday there's going to be stage races, two, three-day stage races, whether you're in North America or you're in Europe. We pretty much all stage race on a bank holiday. So, you know, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from watching the Giro. But I think, first, let's get into talking about the Giro. And, you know, who's your who's your overall money on this year, Sam? Yeah, it's a very, very good one. Because, I mean, if you think about who are the main contenders, like, you know, you've got uh, Quintana's riding this year, isn't he? No, Quintana's not there. Not right. uh, sorry, sorry. Contador's yeah. not there. Quintana's not there. So we've got Valverde, uh, Nibali, uh, yeah. Michael Landa. We've got uh, Heisedel, Scarponi, Rigoberto Uran, you know, Pazavida maybe. But Tom Dumoulin is interesting with three time trials, uh, an outside bet. Tom Dumoulin is a good little bet. I'm going with a little side bet on Zacharin, I think, as well. Uh, he's oh, he's a rider of, you know, increasing prominence, Uh He's still young. He's got a little bit of an asterisk beside his name because he was popped for Dopen when he was 19, but he's back with Katusha now and he's doing some good things this year. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the evergreen Alejandro Valverde, I mean, you know, he, you know what what intrigues me about this is he's not a bad time trialist um, and, uh, you know, he's he seems to be able to slug it out on the steep climbs as well. Valverde is ridiculous, Steve. If you want to like, talk about investment, if you want to make money, stick money on Valverde to come top three in every race he enters. He's phenomenal. You, you know, you're looking at the classics. What was he, second in the Tour de France last year? He's absolutely phenomenal athlete. Yeah, he is. He's just, you know, I mean, I think he's probably the closest thing cycling's had uh, to Sean Kelly since Sean Kelly. <laughs> you're obviously a mad cycling Sean Kelly fanboy. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. I mean, he can do everything. I mean, he's, you know, he's been Spanish national champion. He's, he's probably actually, you know, eclipsing even the likes of Tom Boonen and, um, Gilbert and uh, all of these guys in terms of classics one. I mean, he's picking up two or three years at the moment. Yeah, for sure. He's absolutely class. And, you know, with the, you know, there's a lot of time trials in it this year. So it's hard to bet against, you know, Nibali can test a little bit, but he's had some ropey, you know, I suppose if you were to look at it, Steve, Nibali's the out now favourite going into it. You know, he hasn't ridden it in a couple of years. He's coming back. Last time he rode it, he won it. Uh, but he's coming off some ropey form. Like if you were to look at Tom Dumoulin, obviously had his breakout ride in the Vuelta last year. 
like he can test with the best of them. And there's a lot of time trial kilometers to be covered in this year's Giro. Yeah, I think what's going to decide a lot of the kind of pattern of the race is stage nine because I can see someone like Dumoulin maybe putting you know two, two and a half, three minutes into some of the key contenders. You know, someone like Nibali, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts two minutes into him over 40k. I mean, somebody like uh, Pozzavita, I mean, he could put four or five minutes into him. So it means that when when we hit the you know the hilly stages, these guys are going to have to attack. Yeah, for sure. And also, not to be discounted, like, I think the race is starting in Appledorm in Holland, but the first three stages are actually in Holland's name. Yeah. And although the first stage uh, looks pretty sheltered, stage two and stage three, we could get a little uh, crosswind action, a bit of brodeur. So which of the teams are going to blow it apart? I mean, uh, you know, who's bringing a really strong team that could really rip it apart in the crosswinds? You'd, you'd have to think that it might actually suit Heisedel with, you know, with big power riders like Cancellara in there. I mean, they're going to be able to absolutely rip it apart on the flats. Yeah, Heisedel's well past his best for me, but I can't see him. I can't see him pulling anything out. Uh, you know, what's interesting on those sort of stages, it's the select, like the sprint is going to be decided from a smaller selection. So there's some super sprinters in the Giro this year. It's probably one of the most exciting elements of it. Like we look at Caleb Hewan, like he is a little rocket. But it's hard to see him figuring in those stages where it's got to be massive crosswind action. But there's some of the, you know, the big sprinters as well that can well handle themselves in the crosswind, like Greipel and Cattell. So it's going to be a shit fight with those guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to I mean, because Greipel is a rider that's grown more and more uh, on me over the years. I mean, if you saw his recent performance in uh, Paris-Roubaix, you know, just so full of heart, willing to get out there, mix it up, attack and work tirelessly for his teammates when he's called uh, to do so so he's definitely someone and absolutely could tell is absolutely in rip-roaring form and you know quick step they've got some really really strong big big classic riders you know yeah so the thing with stage races is Stephen, like how the overall is generally decided it's it's a big energy management game for three weeks it's this massive gain of game of who can conserve the most energy and the guy who can conserve energy like small little things important in a one-day race they're all magnified in a stage race you know if you're not good at riding the wheel if it's costing you a little bit extra energy to move up in the bunch that's all magnified over three weeks and it just stacks up and you'll see riders coming into the final week and the guys who aren't good at managing their energy you know they're completely discounted and that's why we have guys who are labeled you know gc guys typically gc guys are the guys with the best efficiency and energy management techniques yeah. And I think it's also really relevant, Anthony, if you're preparing for a two day, you know, or three or, you know, maybe even a week long stage race. I don't think it's any different. You know, uh, I, I mean, I was never the best rider, but what I was very, very cute at was managing my energy, like, you know, <laughs> sneaking around the bunch without using a jewel too much. So whilst I didn't necessarily improve, I didn't fatigue at the same pace as other riders. And I found myself relative to that, just getting stronger and stronger as the stage race went on. Yeah, for sure, Stephen. You can see there's what makes a great one-day rider doesn't make a great stage racer. You know, I've seen guys been completely derailed on things like they're just not organized enough. You know those guys that are before the start of the stage, you know, no matter how early they get there, they're still scrambling around five minutes before the race, tuning their gears or something. And those guys, they can't make stage racers because that level of disorganization, it just becomes exponential. And as the, the week goes on, you know, you take a... The Ross's approach in Ireland, which is an eight-day race, you take something like that, day four, day five, day six, that starts to catch up on you and it'll, cracks will start to appear. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of fundamental things that we want to kind of really discuss over the next 20, 30 minutes uh, about stage racing. First of all, is setting goals. You know, um, we discussed this. If you haven't listened to the setting goals module, definitely, you know, go back and listen to it, print the handout and sit down and write down the goals. Because if you haven't really sat down and figured out what your goal is, Anthony, you're never going to arrive for that stage race in really optimum condition. You won't have cycled your training around it, so you're peaking for that, and you mightn't be properly prepared in terms of your course reconnaissance. It might be a hilly event, yet you've been not training your you know, your maximum uh, capacity efforts. Whatever it is, like you, if you haven't written out your goal, you cannot expect to be in peak condition for that target event. Yeah, it's definitely worth going back to listen to that one, Stephen, uh, episode two, I think it is. And you, you know, we just show you how to hack and show you how to maximize exactly your training time you know if you have five hours a week to train if you have six hours a week to train show you exactly what you should be doing because that what you're doing in training has to be closely aligned to what your target is so go back and check that one out yeah so assuming you've set your goal so let's say you know you've set your goal for a two-day stage race what's which has got three you know three stages typical you know uh road stage on a on a saturday time trial sunday morning finishing off with a um, you know, road stage on Sunday afternoon, a really typical two day that most amateurs would be aiming at some point in the season. So, you know, one of the key things, Anthony, I think is understanding the course, what, what you can expect, whether it's going to have crosswind sections, whether it's really hilly, what's the finish like. I mean, it's low hanging fruit, yet so many people just kind of rock up on the day and just hop on the bike and pedal away. They don't know if it's a circuit, if it's an out and back, you know, it, and, and really it's, 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 it's putting you at a huge disadvantage. It amazes me, Stephen, how many people don't understand wind direction. You know, something as fundamental as that, it's more important than where the climbs are, you know. So get a map, an old school map, trace the route on the map, have a look at the wind direction, download an app, you know, YR, AccuWeather, MetAirn if you're in Ireland, any of these uh, weather apps. They'll tell you the wind direction, plot the wind direction on the map against the course, and you're going to see sections of the course which are vulnerable to crosswinds. And you're also, you can have a look and gauge that against the strength of the wind. You know, if it's a five kilometer narrow wind, it doesn't matter if it's a full on crosswind, it's not going to cause much damage. If it's a 50 kilometer narrow crosswind, you know, that's going to be a section where you need to be upfront for. So it's, you know, a little bit of course management can save you so much energy. Yeah, and actually, we're going to talk, you know, even in terms of course management, you know, within the bunch in a second. But I think that's the crucial thing, Anthony. You know, it's often a misguided in my opinion, I mean, if you're strong enough and if you've got a good team to sit up in the first 10 to 15 riders, but you can also use a vast amount of energy doing that where I think knowing the points when you need to be at the front and making sure that, you know, you you get to the front, you know, at a point in the race that's not going to be dangerous. Like, so you turn onto a main road, you know, and you know there's going to be a wind section in five or 10 kilometers up the road. Then it's time to get up and stay up in the front, you know, or you've anticipated where those spins are going to happen. And that's when you get really, I, I guess efficient in terms of managing your energy uh, like i see guys going back for bottles and you're looking at your stem because you have written down on your stem if you're not doing that that's another great tactic write down on your stem exactly where these key points are you know you're not rain man you're not going to remember every single kilometer that there's a, a danger point out whether it's a road works whether it's start of a climb whether it's a indication you need to move up for a crosswind write it all down like a little essay on your stem or your top tube but if you, you know, I'll be looking at my stem or my top tube and I'll be like, okay, two kilometers, I need to move up because we're coming to a dangerous section. I see a guy with his hand in his air going back for a bottle. I'm thinking, you know, 
what's he thinking? Like, you don't see him again until that the next morning at the stage, like, because he's just gone as soon as the racing starts. Yeah, so I think, Anto, you give some really good, you know, kind of practical things that people can do, you know, print out the map, look at the, the, the kind of Google Maps, look at the, uh, you know, weather forecast, wind direction and stuff like that. I think another thing that is really, I think, misunderstood and underrated is managing your position in the bunch, Anthony. Again, you know, whether it's from a, um, understanding whether the wind is going to change direction or a critical point in the race is coming and making sure you're in the first 10 or 15. I mean, you know, we're going to be doing a module on climbing and we talk about it all the time. Like if you're a weak climber, if you want to be involved in the action, making sure you're in the first 10 or 15 riders when you hit it or a wind section. But also more importantly as well, avoiding crashes, like having a sense of awareness if you've got dangerous riders or a dangerous section coming up. It's so important in a stage race. Yeah, we call that like ability to get around the bunch without wasting much energy scrubbing. <laughs> you know, we should have we should have a little scrubbing corner where we bring on a scrubber. I've one or two scrubbers in mind. I'd like to get on here and shave. Yeah, well, I think I'd hold a, a flag to that a chief scrubber in staff because it's something I was always acutely aware of. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, you know, I was never one of these guys to like fight relentlessly to be in, in the front. I would allow myself to drift up because it's even stressful, you know. But at the right point and certainly, you know, a couple of kilometers in advance of a dangerous section, I, I would just get up and get into the first 10 or 15 riders. And likewise, I was so aware, Anthony, if you're like at a point in the bunch and there's guys up in front of you looking around and getting out of the saddle and freewheeling back towards you, you know, rather than just roaring abuse at them, which so many people do and getting into an altercation, just get yourself out of there because that's the best, you know, crash management or avoidance system you can possibly uh, do, you know. Speaking of scrubber, Stephen, there's a mutual friend of mine, Stephen's Kieran, uh, and I once seen him sitting on the back of the brake for 100 kilometres, not do a single turn, as much abuse as he got, like shamelessly didn't do one single turn. And with 150 meters to go, boom, opens up, wins the race. They chased him around the car park afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a difference between scrummer and scumbag. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy enough to label him a scumbag. <laughs> so I think, you know, one of the other things as well in, in terms of efficiency, of, you know, of energy anti and so it's eating the right thing on the bike because it's all well and good like to stuff yourself full of gels for the first two or three days. But if you're doing an eight week stage race, you've got to also keep an eye on some sort of a balanced diet because so often we see riders falling by the wayside with upset stomachs and digestive issues. Just that'd be a tough race in eight week stage race. So what's well, that <laughs> <laughs> that would be a war of attrition that would be yeah the original one. you heard it here first guys the, the first eight week stage race is coming your way uh, yeah so what I like to do Stephen is gravitate from solid foods to more sports specific foods as a stage goes on and depending on how hard the stage is if I'm in the action and I'm racing hard I'll get onto the sports specific foods earlier but if I'm not racing hard if I'm in a group that's you know going for nothing I'll stay off the sports specific foods completely by sports-specific foods, I, again, I have a sliding scale in that gels being the most extreme. If the racing is really on, I'll take them. If the racing is sort of semi-on, I'll take sports-specific bars and things like that. But by and large, I'll try and the majority of the time, you know, we're confused by the marketing a lot of times. What we don't need is we, we don't need these brands, these bars. We need the macronutrients that these bars give us. And a lot of people are confused by that. You can get the same nutrient benefits from whole foods and actual, you know, proper food. Like you can get the same hit off uh, a few dates as you can off a sports-specific energy bar. And a lot of people fail to understand that. But my nutrition strategy has always been that sort of starting out with solid foods, things like, 
you know, paninis, uh, croissants, even baguettes made up with some, you know, cream cheese and ham, something like that. And then as the stage goes on, gravitating more towards the, the slimier type things. Yeah, I mean, even for, as Sean Kelly would put it, your own morale, uh, you know, it can be so kind of sickening over, you know, two or three days to just continuously pump gels into yourself. And, you know, definitely you can look towards more normal foods, especially in the early stages uh, before the race is really on or maybe once it settles down after the first hour of racing. Um, but I think it's something to be conscious of. And another thing as well, Anthony, that we see, I, I think, again, I often look at riders like they haven't practiced eating whilst riding at speed and they either end up going over the bars or they lose position and they cause themselves so much stress. So it's something as simple as practicing eating, not whilst freewheeling along, but actually whilst you're riding in a kind of a fairly tempo uh, pace that you're able to navigate yourself in and out of your pockets and actually eat at that level, because otherwise you're going to struggle to eat in races. Yeah, for sure. And also on that, as people say, you know, when should I eat? You should eat any time the pace is down. It doesn't matter if you already ate 30 seconds before that. If the pace is down, just eat, drink, because the pace might be on for the next two hours and you mightn't get a chance to take your hands off the bars because you're, you know, chewing wheel in a crosswind or you're, or you're like capacity trying to hold on to a wheel, swinging for dear life through towns, sprinting where it's not, it's not possible. You know, generally, back to the course management, Stephen, if you look at the map, if you're coming up to a section on a stage race where you're going through a lot of towns and villages, we likely going to be strung out going through that. There's going to be accelerations out of the corner. If we're not in the top 10, it's going to be virtually impossible to eat. So don't plan to eat on those sections where you're going through towns. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you can see the trend that's building here, you know, I mean, when talking about stage races, Anto pointed out at the, at the very outset, it's all about managing your energy because if you can manage your energy, like think about it, if, you, if you're getting in and maybe you're at, at a level where you're maybe not one of the strongest riders around, if you can become acutely aware of these things, your course management, understanding wind and direction, understanding how to position yourself, uh, you know, smartly in a bunch so you're not using unnecessary energy, you know, understanding when and what and how to eat and practicing eating at speed, you're going to find you're conserving an inordinate amount of energy, Anthony, which is eventually going to start to, you know, really pay dividends as, as riders around you start to tire. Yeah, and having a goal within the stage race as well, Stephen, which is closely linked to what you were saying there because, you know, it's great uh, knowing the places where you have to fight. But in a stage race, depending on what your goal is, you don't have to fight every day. So learn to let go. Learn to just be, you know, you don't have to, The only time you're dropped shouldn't be when you're physically not able to hold on anymore. You know, your goal, if your goal is to win the sprint stage on a Monday, you know, there's no prize for coming 40th a minute down on the Saturday stage. You know, so just learn to let go, get to within, you know, 20, 30 kilometers of the finish when it's starting to get hard and then just ride in easy. Get your coke, get a can of coke and ride in easy because that's not your that's not your goal for the day. Now, obviously, if you're in a team environment, you might have goals that need to be aligned with the team, which you might have a specific job to do on a specific day. But like a great example, last even was when I was racing in the States, uh, you know, I'd have a specific job on a specific day to do for the team. And, you know, my job could have been to control the breakaway for the first 40 kilometers. And after 40 kilometers, that would be it. Like, I'd sit up. And if, there's no advantage to me hanging on in the bunch for the next 60 or 70 kilometers when they're strung out going through towns. I could be riding easy in the group petal behind with like-minded people who all have a job to do and who are all going to have another job to do tomorrow. Yeah, and likewise, you know, let's say you're riding that two-day stage race I mentioned earlier. And, 
you know, you, you really want to do well. You really think you've got a chance of being up there. Uh, what what normally decides them? It's the time trial on a Sunday morning or Saturday evening, Anthony. Yet I watch with kind of complete amazement. Like there's guys that could potentially put in a good overall ride, and they're mashing and they're running and chasing after every single thing on the Saturday. When you know in your heart of hearts it's going to end in a bunch sprint. Yeah, like history rarely lies to a statement. If we look at a stage race and you go, okay, the last 500 years this has ended in a bunch sprint, you don't need to go in the break from kilometer zero because the chances are it's going to be a bunch sprint again. Conserve your energy. You know, you'll get a feeling if you're near the front. If a big move is going, if all the big GC hitters are going into a move, you know, that's something you might need to watch. But by and large, you don't need to cover every single move if traditionally it's a bunch sprint stage. Yeah, because I, I kind of look at the whole thing like a like a, a petrol tank. You know, you've got a full tank at the start of it, and every single day, you know, it's depleting. Yeah, you can put a bit of petrol back in, but eventually, you know, the, the time is going to catch up with you. So every single one of these things is really, really important. And I think, I think the kind of final one, and I think what really, really, uh, you know, at a professional level, at, at an elite level, Anto decides, you know, a good stage race rider from a great one is the ability to recover. Yeah, that's all it is, Stephen, to be honest. It's, you know, recovery from move to move within the race, I think, is a lot based on what we're eating and our energy conservation. But on recovery day to day, it's so big for us. You know, what happens the moment we get off the bike? Like, I actually had a teammate who used to say his favorite moment of the entire Ross was the moment he finished he finished the stage because that was the furthest he could possibly be from having to ride his bike again. But... <laughs> But right then, you really need to click into, okay, hyperdrive recovery. Because what you do today impacts tomorrow, the next day, the next day. And it's to have that recovery strategy in place. So generally, I'll try and finish a stage straight away, not hang around, waiting for a post-mortem with your mates in the freezing cold, get well wrapped up, get a recovery drink in straight away, back to the B&B, shower, into bed. About an hour and a half later, we're getting the main meal of the day which is, again, just a balanced type meal. You know, I know mommy's cooking uh, meat, potatoes, veg, well-balanced. You're looking at massage that evening, about an hour after dinner, and then you're looking at an ice bath that night. Compression stocks and a little bit of foam rolling are optional. But the others are definitely not optional. All need to be done. So you don't uh, buy into the old Robert uh, Miller thing of uh, stealing um, ashtrays out of pubs and putting the bed up at an angle, Anto? It's a little bit hardcore, and honestly, I don't know how many ashtrays he was stealing. Because, like, what's an ashtray? An inch? Yeah, it's an inch, I think. Yeah. He must be stealing like fifteen ashtrays. <laughs> no, that yeah. wouldn't work. But you need an even number. Yeah. Well, Robert used to basically lift up the bottom two legs of the bed. Uh, he believed the blood flowed better to the heart and got reoxygenated better. You know, what, what do you think? How practical it is it for amateur riders to look at things like compression? Uh, socks is an obvious one, but these compression um, su- suits Anto, that you see the Pro Tour riders using now? I think the price point has them uh, priced out for amateur riders, Stephen. I think they're, you're looking at nearly €3,000 for a set of them. You know, if you're lucky enough to be on a team that has a set, uh, they are pretty cool. I've used them once or twice, but I don't know any individual riders that own them. So I, I think you can get a lot of the benefits, Stephen, by just not getting caught in the market on it. Like, you can get these cool Zeus and 2XU and Skins compression garments, or you can get down to the chemist and you know those compression bandages you get for when you sprain an ankle or you have a, you know, someone hasn't got good circulation for traveling. You can get one of them for about six quid, cut the bottom out of it and you have a full length compression uh, stock, which is actually tighter and more durable to wash than any of the, the branded ones that I've had. So, so uh, do you go full uh, 
comp- compulsive obsessive when you get into the hotel room or B&B and start taping up all the windows and blacking out all all, all the keyholes or do, or do you kind of stay fairly chilled out about it all? Are there any kind of practical things? Because it's something that I struggle with, you know, a couple of days into a stage race, you're tired, you get down and you just don't sleep so well because, you, you know, your pulse is elevated, you're tired. Are there any practical tips that you have to help people sleep? Yeah, you want to have a couple of home comforts with you. Like I'll generally travel with my iPad, a set of like noise reduction headphones because, you know, you can be in an environment with same lads all week. You can get on great with them, but you're, you know, the conversation can wear it in. So it's great to be able to just put on the headphones and just step out of that even for a half an hour. We'll generally bring a book or something, something to just escape the whole cycling bubble for a while. And that escaping the cycling bubble definitely stops my mind racing and helps me sleep a little bit easier in the evening. Uh, earplugs, absolutely essential because invariably you're going to be sharing with a teammate and you know you don't want to roll the dice on if they're snoring or not because generally a manager will mix around the teammate you're rooming with so you're rooming a different guy each night earplugs and I supplement with a little bit of zinc and magnesium before I go to sleep and I find that helps me just nod off boom yeah zinc and magnesium is a, is a brilliant one there's also a really good herb you can get from most uh, health food uh, shops called uh, Rescue Remedy and you just put a couple of darts of that on your tongue and it really helps and also there's some practical kind of things you can do if your mind is really racing and you're stressed because I think stress can build up on a stage race as well Anto and uh, you know things like mindfulness apps or as you said just having some familiar home comforts around to just get you out of that sort of racing bubble it can be really valuable you know I've always got out for a walk as well Steve you know oh, Kelly you know, you know don't walk if you can sit down yeah that's grand, I think. But, you know, I've always found that a 10-minute walk, getting out of the team environment, the benefit I get from that is far more valuable than the extra fatigue it brings me. So typically after dinner, I think find it helps with digestion a lot as well because uh, you have a big meal normally at, at dinner. Uh, I'll get out, walk around for 10 minutes on my own, clear the head, help with digestion, and I generally come back and, you know, I normally don't have much of a problem sleeping. Yeah, and I think just from a digestive point of view, again, if you're going on a week or an eight uh, day long stage race, uh, I think going down to your local health food store and getting some uh, digestive enzymes uh, is a really, really good way of helping your digestion because your digestion is under pressure as well, Anthony. You're, you know, you're constantly eating on the go. You're under pressure. So the blood is being taken away from non-essential organs like your digestive. And over an eight-day period, you can really start to get impaired digestion. So a digestive enzyme is literally just filled with the enzymes that um, your saliva produces and your intestine produce to help break down so you can better digest and assimilate the you know vitamins and minerals and nutrients that you're taking so i would really recommend it during the stage race if someone's having a heavy meal which are fairly late at night more often than not one or two digestive enzymes is really going to help you uh, avoid kind of digestive issues later on in the race yeah for sure and i think you know something that i've always found that it's, it's all skill but if you are trying anything you know, whether it's even, you know, digestive enzymes like Stephen's saying or sleeping with earplugs like I'm saying, try it try it well in advance of the race. You don't want to get into the race and find that, you know, I, I tried something there. I tried sleeping in my compression socks for the first time and my legs are just like jelly the next morning. You know, everybody reacts to different stuff differently, so definitely try it before. Definitely. So on that sage bit of advice, Anto, uh, I wasn't going to let you away without putting your neck on the block. So who's going to win the Giro? The Giro, I'm going to go with Tom Zumalan. And for those that are listening, this is 2016, just in case Ant tries to rewrite history now. So Tom Dumoulin, okay, you can't rewrite. Tom hasn't won a Grand Tour yet. That's a ballsy bet. I like it. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out and say I think Raphael Micah could do a ride. 
No, not a chance. Uh, I can't say it. He, he's going brutal, but we'll see. Uh, we're going to have a wager on this one. No, maybe not. I can. Uh, I didn't do a huge amount of research into the DC contenders. <laughs> You've obviously spent several days poring over that particular Dumoulin choice. Anthony's worked out Tom's functional threshold calculated by the average gradient over 24 kilometers. So I, I think Anto's euro is pretty safe on this one. Yeah, I'm also going to show one out. Uh, we're working with Damien Shaw at the moment on uh, a new plan, which we'll have out depending on your listeners' podcasts. The magic of time travel it might already be out. Uh, but I'm going to throw Damien Shaw out there as a stage winner for this year's Ross. He went close on the last three stages last year. I think he was in the break yesterday in the flesh to suit. And so I'm going to throw him out as a potential stage winner. Yeah, he looked mean and lean when we met him last week. So best of luck to you, Damien. Best of luck to you, Anto, and the Ross coming up. And uh, for anyone else out there that's uh, you know looking forward to a stage race planning, like we've said before, if you're engaging in headless chicken riding, if you're not got a structured training plan, make sure you listen to the first podcast in this series. And if you really want to sit down and set out a goal, listen to the second podcast. So we're going to be covering some really cool stuff over the next couple of episodes about how to get you actually an optimum condition for that stage race. So look forward to chatting you again, Anto. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers. Bye.